Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. This is Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of your Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please be seated? Jesus is harsh. He is cold. Jesus is unsympathetic, maybe even unrealistic. I mean, think about it. Jesus' disciples come to him and they have a question. They say, Lord, the Samaritans, they're rejecting you. What what do you want us to do about it? And Jesus rebukes them, rather harsh. Another one of Jesus' followers says, Lord, I will go with you wherever you go. He is hot. He is passionate. And Jesus, cold. Son of man doesn't have a home. Someone else says, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll I'll follow you wherever you go. But first, let me go take care of my my old, my, my ailing father. What does Jesus say? Let the dead take care of their own dead. I mean, that is unsympathetic, maybe even cruel. And finally, one of of the followers says, Lord, I'm going to come with you. I really do want to, but first, let me go give a kiss goodbye to my wife and my kids. And Jesus says, either you're in or you're out. I don't know about you, but in my experience, when, when Christian leaders, and really not just church leaders, Christian leaders, but really leaders of any kind in any area of any arena. Well, they want followers. Here's the question. Does Jesus want followers? Seems as though he doesn't. 
I mean, leaders in any other area of any other kind of organization, what will they do? Well, they will paint a vision. They'll, they'll cast in a vision of an idealistic future and, and demonstrate to people where we're going and what it will do for you to be a part of this group, this movement, this organization. And then in a winsome way, they, they describe that future in an appealing way as possible so that what happens? People walk side by side. They get in line and they all join in together. Very rarely do they turn anyone down who wants to be a part of their movement, their group, their organization, right? Why is Jesus different? And perhaps more relevant for you and I, why is following Jesus far different? What Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9 do, and what I pray this sermon does for all of us, is force us to really examine two important questions. The first is, what kind of follower of Christ are you? What kind of disciple, what kind of little Christ, Christian, are you, after all? And secondly, what kind of Savior is Christ? Those are two questions that we're going to examine this morning. What kind of disciple of Christ are you? And second, what kind of Savior is Christ after all? We're going to look at those two questions, and then as we wrap up, we're going to make two applications to our answers to those questions. So let's get into the text this morning. Here's the first one. Verse 51, as Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went into who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because, because he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village for him to get ready. Sorry, I read that twice. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, They asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Jesus went into Samaria, and he went there to proclaim the gospel to them as he went on to do the work of the gospel in Jerusalem. He went to go share the gospel with people, non-Jewish people in a Samaritan village, but they wanted none of it. And so what did James and John do? Lord, let's torch them. Let's burn them to the ground for rejecting you. Here's the question. The question we're asking is, what kind of follower, what kind of Christ follower are you? So we need to ask ourselves, am I passionate? Am I passionate but misguided as a follower of Christ? Because here's the thing. Jesus demands an undeterred attitude in following him. Consider what's going on here. Jesus goes into Samaria. Why? Because he wants to share his love with even the Samaritans. He wants to show love to the Samaritans by pointing them to him, to their savior. And he says, disciples, that's your mission also. 
Let nothing deter you. In other words, as you go and you proclaim the message of the gospel, as you share my love with people, this is not a hostile takeover. This is not offering ultimatums to them. And if they happen to reject you, you decide to torch them. You decide to forget about them. Let them burn. No. Jesus says, deny yourself. If you're going to be my, def- my follower and you're going to be about my kingdom building program and my gospel, the same love, the same mercy that I have shown you you must show to others. Even, and especially, it doesn't work out. Even if you're rejected, let nothing deter you from following me. Ask yourself the question, what kind of disciple are you? Are you passionate but misguided? Because Jesus demands his followers have an undeterred attitude. We continue on. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. This one's a little bit confusing, isn't it? After all, it seems that Jesus has a really, really thoughtful disciple, someone who's not only thoughtful, but who's sacrificial, that's going to go with Jesus wherever he goes. Why does Jesus respond the way that he does? First of all, you know that Jesus knows this person's heart and mind. And so when he responds the way he does, what he was getting at in this disciple, this follower, is this. Well, this person was committed to the idea of commitment. They were excited about their excitement. They were passionate about their passion, not necessarily the passion of the Lord. In other words, they were all excited to be a hero, to be someone who had a purpose, to be someone who was making a difference in the world they kind of lost sight of the fact that the real hero of this story, the the person through whom all things are made new and, and made right and good, is Jesus. The question that we ask ourselves is, what kind of follower of Christ are you? Am I obsessed with material things over eternal things? Because Christ demands that his followers have an undivided heart. Jesus said in elsewhere in his gospel, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve material things and eternal things. And for a second here, let's back up and talk about material things in such a way where we're not just talking about money and possessions. Am I someone who is obsessed with material things? I'm talking about the physical things, the tangible things, more than eternal things. In other words, We all have dreams, we all have passions, desires, longings to be fulfilled with purpose. Do you value that over and above the hopes that God gives you for eternal life in heaven? 
the purpose that God gives you for one that's not just for your 80 or 90 years here on earth, but the eternal purpose that Christ has called you to? Or do you try to mix these two in? Because what Jesus demands in his followers is an undivided heart. You cannot serve both of these things. What kind of Christ follower are you? Are you someone who values or even obsesses over material, physical, tangible things over the eternal? Because Christ demands an undivided heart. Continue on, third, third disciple, third person he meets. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. If Jesus had a PR team, this is one that they might kind of cringe at. Jesus, don't say that. So what did he mean here? Well, consider the culture and the context, okay? Culturally, here's what we know. That if a Jewish person's uh, father, mother was truly on his deathbed, they wouldn't be out walking around with Jesus. They would be there. They would be next to him by their side. So likely this person wasn't, their father wasn't quite on their deathbed, but maybe was old, maybe was elderly. Also, now consider the context. Jesus shows up on his scene preaching this gospel of the kingdom of God, this kingdom of righteousness that is yours by grace. Seemingly, this was different than what good little Jewish boys and girls grew up with. So put it into context. This person is saying is, Lord, I want to go with you. I want to be your follower. Just, (laughs) daddy might not approve. Like, I'm going to be your follower. Just, uh, (laughs) might cause a little tension, some hardship in the family. So wait till he's dead. Then I'll follow you. Wherever, Wherever you go, I'm in. Just, in other words, wait. Wait, God, until I can be sure that there is no personal or relational hardships in my life, then I'll follow you. So I ask the question, what kind of Christ follower are you? Are you a follower that shrinks whenever hardships enter into your life? Because what Jesus demands from his followers is an unflinching mind. Someone who does not back away when there's hardships. Who doesn't get going when the going gets tough? And this one's interesting because here Jesus adds this. He doesn't just say, let the dead bury their own dead, but he adds, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Go and be about this kingdom of life eternal. In other words, you cannot be about the kingdom of God and eternal life, and at the same time, always be concerned about what hardships come up in other relationships, responsibilities, and loyalties that you have, because all of those things relative to this bring death. This is a kingdom that brings life. Go and proclaim it. It's the metaphor that Jesus is bringing out in this, and this is really... (laughs) really helpful one for us to examine on July 4th weekend. 
as we celebrate our nation's independence and, and all of the freedoms that we have relative to the history of Christianity and relative to other areas of this world where people do not have the freedoms that you and I enjoy to, to promote and to celebrate and worship our God, ask yourselves, what kind of hardships do you really endure? So often the hardships that we encounter in our life are this. They're hardships that are in relationships that we have, whether it's with parents or friends or family or neighbors or coworkers who might not love Jesus like you love Jesus. Are you the type of follower that shrinks back whenever hardships enter your followership because you are more caring about those relationships than the relationship you have with your Savior who died so that you might live. Here's the last one. Yet another, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, there are no buts. There are no conditions in my followership. You cannot say, I'll follow you, but first. You cannot say, I will follow you, but only if. No, there are no conditions in being my disciple. He's not saying that there is this unconditional obedience that you must have. No, your Savior recognizes that, that you are sinful. I am sinful, and there are times where we are going to fall short of the perfect standard that God, God demands. But in terms of following him, he says, I expect and demand unconditional followership. Ask yourself this question. Are you the type of follower that attaches conditions to your discipleship with God? Are you the type of follower that always adds in a but first, eh, but only, but Jesus, I will follow you if you first do this for me. Because if that is the type of follower that you are, listen to this, you're not following Christ. You're setting yourself up as Lord and master, commander over God, king over him, saying, you listen here, Lord. I will follow you. Sure, I'll follow you. But first, you listen to me. You're not following him. You're setting yourself up in a position over him. Have you ever heard of St. Augustine? St. Augustine is a very famous church father. and Yet before he became a Christian, well, he didn't live like a Christian. St. Augustine is famous from kind of living a wild life before he became a Christian. And the story goes that he was someone who was having an intimate relationship with a woman he wasn't married to. And then Augustine went and he listened to the great Ambrose preach, and it really impacted him. It really convicted him. And Hearing about the Ten Commandments and the kingdom of God, he realized that he was not in this area, in this relationship in his life, living according to God's word. And so famously, before he started to follow Christ, Augustine wrote a prayer, wrote a prayer that has become, well, rather 
rather famous for a lot of Christians today, whether they know it or not. He said, oh Lord, make me good, but not yet. Ask yourself, what kind of follower are you? Are you the type of follower of Christ who doesn't really follow Christ, but wants Christ to follow you, puts in conditions in your followership? Because what Christ demands is an unconditional life. He demands an unflinching heart, an undivided mind, an undeterred attitude. Let me give you an illustration. You know people like this, sports fans. Sports fans that love their team, that love their team and know everything about their team. They know all the players and not just the players from this season, but really all the players from last season. They know all the statistics about their team and not just this season, but all the seasons from the past season. And they try to watch or listen or be a part of every single game. You know sports fans like that, right? But you also know sports fans who really just kind of pull through when their team's in the playoffs or maybe in the finals or the Super Bowl. You know, sports fans who don't ever talk about how they love this team, but as soon as they win the championship, all of a sudden they got all the shirts and hats for that team. What Jesus is talking about in the game of Christian living, in the game of being a discipler, a follower of Christ is that he has no tolerance for fair-weathered followers or fair-weather fans. He demands committed followers of Christ. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, your salvation is free. Let me hear, let me say that again. Your salvation is free, but following me will cost you everything. Your salvation is free, but following me will cost you everything. It will cost you way more than just thinking I'm a pretty good guy. It'll cost you way more than just an hour or two, maybe, on the weekends. It will cost you everything. An undeterred attitude, an undivided heart, an unflinching mind, and an unconditional life. That is what Jesus calls you to. We're asking the question, what kind of follower are you? And I hope if you've gotten anything out of this sermon so far, it's this. That you and I do not possess the power to be the types of followers that Christ demands. We just don't. You and I do not possess the power to be the followers that Christ expects with unconditional commitment. Yet, here's the good news. God's words possess God's power. And God's words possess God's power to work within you and make you that kind of follower that Christ demands. You see, when Christ Jesus redeemed you, when Christ Jesus bought you back from sin, death, and the devil and liberated you from sin and guilt forever and gave you eternal life in Christ Jesus, he didn't just redeem you from something, he rescued you for something, for a life 
of following him, being like him. And he didn't just leave you then to fend for yourself and figure it out for yourself. No, he gave you his spirit who possesses his power to work within you to make you the type of disciple that Jesus expects. We read this at the very beginning. As the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, in other words, as the time neared for Jesus to be taken up on a cross, to suffer and die and defeat the devil for you so that you would be saved, this time came for Jesus to ascend and be taken up into heaven and be seated at the right hand of God and rule everything for your good. You want to know what Jesus did? He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And normally I don't do this. Normally I don't rip on English translations because I hope that you should feel very, very confident in the English translation that you have. But that's kind of a lame translation that Jesus resolutely set out (laughs) for Jerusalem. Now, you want to know what it literally says? It literally says that Jesus determined in his mind that he was going to go to Jerusalem and do everything necessary for your salvation so that you would be taken up into heaven and it showed on his face. Jesus set his face to go for Jerusalem. Are you starting to get the picture of what kind of savior Jesus is? This is like the Mamba mentality. My translation of this is that Jesus put on his game face to go to Jerusalem. This is game seven Kobe. This is before his last race, Michael Phelps. This is the success kid meme, Jesus, looking ahead to Jerusalem for you. And yet, what kind of savior do you have? It's the kind of savior... It wasn't just playing a game or swimming in a race. You have the kind of savior that, that had this, okay, I'll use it, resoluteness to die for you, suffer hell for you so that you wouldn't know that ever. You want to know what kind of savior you have? You have a Jesus, your Jesus, your savior, who demonstrated an undeterred attitude for you in the face of all that needed to be happen, all that needed to happen in Jerusalem. This is the kind of savior you have. This is the kind of Messiah that is yours. One that not only demonstrated an undeterred attitude for you, but also established that inside of you. He gave you his spirit. He lives so that you might be forgiven for all of the times where we have really, really been deterred in our followership of Christ. He lives to give you an undeterred attitude. And not just that. Jesus Christ is the kind of savior that demonstrates an undivided heart. Listen to this. So often we talk about the sacrifice that God gave, right? That he had to give up his only son for your salvation. Well, for a moment, consider the sacrifice that this son made. He left all glory, all power, all rule and dominion and seated at the right hand of God. He left all use of his power and his riches and he he came to earth. He gave all of that up and he even suffered the forsakenness of not even 
having his father with him on the cross. And he didn't once go, "Mm, boy, geez, (laughs) I kind of want all of that glory and power even as I do this. No, he was completely united in his father's will for you, that you would be saved, that you might be forgiven. What kind of savior is Christ? He is one that not only demonstrates an undivided heart, but he has determined it in your heart. He has brought your heart together, healed it and made it whole and united it with his through the waters of your baptism. What kind of savior is Jesus? He is one that demonstrates an unflinching mind. Don't for a second think that the work that Jesus did, that he had to resolutely set his face for, for Jerusalem, was easy. You know it was hard. He suffered pain. He suffered death. He suffered persecution. He suffered not only the temptation to forego all that from evil, he also suffered abandonment from his very dear loved ones, his own disciples. And yet, in the face of evil, he was unafraid and unflinching. Martin Luther poetically paraphrased your Savior's message to you. He wrote this. He says, think of what Christ says to you. Christ says to you, his disciples, I know, I know that the devil will assail you severely for my sake, to make you sad, weary, and impatient so that you stop your work, so that you stop your work and say, I wish I'd never followed Christ in the first place. Do not let the devil, the word, or even your own flesh overpower you, but think how I have loved you and still love you and how much I have spent on you so that you might be righteous and saved through me, acceptable to the Father and my disciple. For this I have suffered and overcome everything, both the devil and the world, and all that they were able to do to me. And I did it so, friend, that you might remain in my love. Do not let the many temptations and the displeasure which they arouse discourage you. Stand fast, stand bravely, and defend yourself. You want to know what kind of savior you have? You have one that not only demonstrated an unflinching heart in the face of evil, but you have one that has determined that in your heart so that you might face evil and hardship with the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Very lastly, what kind of savior is Christ? He is one that demonstrates an unconditional life because you and I know in our hearts and in our minds, we are powerless to enter into any relationship, much of relationship with our heavenly father without conditions. Sadly, because of our own sinful nature and our selfishness, which is at the DNA and the deep core of all of our sins, we put conditions on relationships. And so Christ went and did this. He promised to you that there would be no condition on my love for you. And even when you get deterred and divided and you seize up with fear at hardships, no, Christ forgives you unconditionally. That is the kind of savior that you have. 
And what are the applications of this? Well, let's make the first one. Here's the first one, that God's word possesses power to make you an undeterred, an undivided, an unflinching, and an unconditional follower of Christ. Look, I gotta tell you, we do a very, very crazy thing at this church. Do you know what we do? We teach people God's word. <laughs> and then <laughs> if, they, if they decide that they wanna be members at this church, we do this fun little thing. We welcome them, we put their name on a cake, we clap for them, we give them some little gifts. But before all that, do you know what we do? We, this is crazy, we ask them some questions. We ask them these questions. Listen, we say, do you desire to join with us in worship? Do you desire to join with us in worship and in the mission of sharing the good news of Jesus with the people of Fredericksburg? Do you desire to support the ministry of this church with your time, with your talents, and with your offerings so that this church, the body of Christ, and everyone who is a member of it is united and built up and reaches more? Do you desire to remain faithful to the teachings of Christ, to regularly feed your faith by gathering with us around God's word and sacrament? And do you desire to live out your faith in acts of Christ-like love and service to others? We do this really crazy thing here where before we welcome people to be members at this church, we ask them, do you desire to be an undeterred, undivided, unflinching, unconditional follower of Christ. You want to know what's even crazier? That every single one of you has answered affirmatively. In fact, do you know what all of you have said? You have not just said, yes, I'll try my best. No, people answer in this way. I do desire this. And I ask God to help me. Friends, where does that help come from? Where does that help come from? It comes from God's word. God's word possesses God's power to make you the disciple that he demands, commands you to be. God's word has the power to work within your heart to make you not just think Jesus is pretty cool, to make you not just someone who puts in their time maybe an hour or two on Sunday, but to work in your heart to make you an undeterred, undivided, unflinching, unconditional follower of Christ. My friends, listen, this is the gospel. The gospel message is this, that salvation is yours, full and free, that Christ Jesus resolutely went to work to win that for you. That is Christ's commitment for you. Here's not the gospel, is that now Jesus is committed, now you go and be committed like him. That is not the gospel message. So often that's the idea that Christians get that, oh, Jesus is committed. I better be committed like him. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus is not only committed to you and has been committed for you and works everything out for you, but also this, that Jesus is committed to working within you to make you like him. God's word possesses God's power to make you the committed follower of Christ that, that he demands. And here's our final application. God's word has power to give you exceedingly great things. I would not blame you one bit if in thinking through 
the type of follower that Christ wants you to be, you start to think of your, to yourself, oh my goodness, this is, <laughs> this is really hard. <laughs> Jesus, this is absolutely an unrealistic, demanding thing. Oh, what's in it for me? Like, what, like, what am I going to get out of this? If you thought that, you would not be at fault because you're right. Jesus demands and commands that we deny ourselves, that we pick up our cross and, and we follow him. And yet here is his promise in his word, which possesses his power to you. That when you lose yourself, you find yourself. When you deny yourself, well, he makes you something. When you deny yourself and make yourself nothing, he makes you something. When you give up everything for the sake of God, he gives you the universe. And that kingdom of God mathematics, which makes zero mathematic sense, is the promise and the hope that God gives to you. Jesus said this, the hymn, have no fear, little flock. Why? For your father, he's chosen this. He has chosen to give you his kingdom. He's promised this, that he who gave up his own son, how much will he not give you all things? Here's another crazy thing. We prayed this at the beginning of worship. We said, at the very start of our worship, we said, oh God, you have prepared joys beyond understanding for those you love. In other words, you picture what Jesus has in store for you and he has more. Oh God, you have prepared joys beyond understanding for those you love. And so we ask, Lord, that you pour into our hearts such love for you that loving you above all things, we might obtain your promises. Christ Jesus has promised to work in your heart to make you the committed follower that he calls you and demands you to be. My friends, God's word possesses God's power to make you that. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen. 